Well, hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Voorst and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Thank you so much for listening today and for those of you who have subscribed and for those of you who give regularly to Life Church, if those sound like new things to you, maybe this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, I would love to invite you to consider subscribing to this podcast and um, to giving to the work that we get to be a part of at Life Church. You make an impact when you give. If you'd like to find out more information on how that exactly happens, uh, go to lifechurchcanton.org slash give. You can find out information about how your giving makes an impact, but you can also find out ways for how you can give. You can give one-time gift, or um, our most faithful givers tend to give a, a recurring gift, and there's instructions for how to do that as well. I want to let you know uh, we are in a series called Galatians. In our sermon series, we've been going through the book, or I should say the letter, to the Galatian church 2,000 years ago, and we're seeing how relevant it actually is to our lives here today in 2021. Uh, And so we hope you're inspired by this as well. Um, And we would love for you to get connected at the end of this sermon. Uh, I'm going to maybe give you some instructions for how to do that well, but uh, for now, take time, listen. Uh, This is Pastor Nathan. He's going to give a great message. I also want to invite you to come out to Juneteenth. It's happening Saturday, June 19th. From 6 to 8, we're going to be getting together. Uh, You're going to learn a little bit more about what Juneteenth is, and we're going to have some food. It's going to be fun. Uh, We're going to have some music and uh, a short message, a time of learning, a time of engaging, and just a time of experiencing uh, one another and and learning from one another's stories as well. So uh, please come out for that, and uh, for now, enjoy the message. Welcome, everyone. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here And I'm grateful for your presence. I'm grateful that you are here, that you're worshiping God in this place. I think he has something for you today. And uh, I'm excited to take you along that journey through the word of God. We're in this series called Galatians because it's written about a, uh, it's a letter written by Paul to the Galatian church. We've been in this series for a while. And my hope is that you are finding, uh, finding as much joy as I am in diving into scriptures, whether it's Galatians or you're doing your own book study. Um, we don't often get to just dwell in the Word of God like this, so thank you for being along the journey with me because uh, I get so much joy from kind of pulling out all of these amazing aspects of the Word of God, and it's a story, a letter written to a church that Paul planted actually a fiery rebuke of them. He is mad at them. At times, there's sarcasm. Later, there's some uncomfortable visuals, uh, not in this message, but in future ones, that Paul uses to get his point across because the Galatian church had taken the grace of Jesus Christ and they'd kind of thrown it away. They returned to the law, um, specifically circumcision, the idea of, of modifying your body to show that you were Jewish, Jewish Christians who followed Jesus were trying to get the Galatians, who were Gentiles by birth, to do the same. And Paul is mad. In fact, he's about to add another theological beatdown to his butt whooping. Like, it's, it is aggressive what he's going to talk about in the future chapters. But he's trying to convince them that it was grace that you were saved, and it was fierce grace, the grace of God that gave up so much to give you something that you could never deserve. Why would you return? Why would you turn 
to a group of rules, the law, the Jewish law, to give you what only Jesus Christ could give you. Now, I asked you a question last week, and I hope that you're still thinking about it. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Do you know what the Holy Spirit is doing, and are you getting behind it? In Galatians 3, 5, that's where it ends. The Spirit of God is in you. Are you paying attention to what the Spirit of God is doing if you follow Jesus? And now he's going to add another theological question, another theological uh, you know, place to start and say, hey, let, let's talk through this. In Galatians 3, verse 6, he says, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, he's been talking about the Galatian church the, the, at that time, like that day, what's going on right then. Now he's jumping back thousands of years into the past to a guy named Abraham. Abraham, he, he was like the patriarch. He was the founding father. It was like Abraham and Moses. They were like big deals, right? This is a, a huge deal, and he's going all the way back there, and he's saying God uh, called him righteous because he believed in him. What, what does that mean? Why, why are we going back there? I want to dive into the story of Abraham because Paul does. So go on me with this journey. There's something important that we need to learn from Abraham's life that applies to our now as Paul reminds them that it's faith you've been saved by. He says he believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. A couple words there that we throw around that we don't always think about, but the first one is believe or faith. Faith, he had faith in God. Do you guys know what faith means? Can you think about that in your head? I mean, you got to have faith, right? Like, what, what does that mean in your head? Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. See, faith is about hope. It's about hoping something will happen. And then when we don't see those things happening, you have assurance because you trust in something greater than you. Abraham he had a family, he had a career, he had other religious practices, and he heard the voice of God, and the voice of God called him to leave his land and take his wife and go into this new area he'd never been before, and he was going to become a new people with a God that no one had really heard about before. This was a big deal. Abraham believed in this God. Abraham trusted this voice this presence in his life. That's a big deal. And this voice promised him, hey, I'm going to give you a new land, and I'm going to give you new descendants. He said, in fact, your descendants would outnumber the stars. They'd be greater than the grains of sand on the beach. And I'm thinking about summertime and being outside. Um, if you were to outnumber the stars in Detroit, so if you're in Detroit and look up at the stars, you'd see like eight stars because it's so like, you know, the pollution and light pollution and all that. But if you go up north, have you guys been up north in the middle of the night on a clear night? And you look up, is it not overwhelming the amount of stars? Do you not feel so small to recognize those could be millions of suns the planets that maybe you can't even see, what it represents, the heavenly bodies. He says, you're going to have more descendants than that with the grains of sand on the beach. Man, this is to a person, Yahweh didn't exist, Jewish faith didn't exist. He was the first guy, and he had to trust in this. 
Nothing could have seemed less likely to Abraham. Yet he believed the promise because of the trustworthiness of the one who made it. He trusted the voice of God. And he responded by following, doing what he was supposed to do in eager anticipation of the fulfillment of a promise. He did it by faith, faith in God. And then he was righteous, declared righteous. What does that mean? It means set apart, just, right. Most of us want to be righteous. We want to do the right thing. Well, what we learn is, according to Paul, according to the scriptures he's referenced, the righteous are those who live by faith. Those set apart, that's what righteous means, live by faith. If we're set apart, we're declared righteous, we live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ, but also learning to look and see what the Holy Spirit is doing, getting behind that, and hoping that God will continue to show up in that area, even if things get hard. Now, God, through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God and through our time and community, may be calling you to dive in, to live by faith, into service, into giving, into discipleship. Maybe he's calling you to change your career, to sacrifice in a way you've never done before. I don't know what he's calling you to do. But if you are righteous, you will live by faith. You will step into what God has for you. Galatians 3, 7. He continues on by saying this. Understand then, those who have faith are children of Abraham. They're descendants of him. If you want to be like dad... You got to have faith like dad. This is a huge deal because this is how the Gentiles belong to Abraham. He's welcoming him in. Paul's welcoming him in. Say, it's not about circumcision. No, no, no. It's about the faith you have in God. We, in fact, when we do as Jesus calls us to do in the word, the Holy Spirit leads us to do, we are part of the family of Abraham. We're one of the stars in the sky. One of that number, one of the promise that God gave to Abraham. That is incredible. A legacy that we get to be part of, not a circumcision of the body, but the circumcision of our heart, that we have set aside our hearts, our intentions, our actions for God. There's so much power in this moment. Verse 8, he continues on. This is cool. Bench attention here. This is really neat. Paul is making a claim here. He's saying, hey, remember when Abraham was promised by God? Listen, 8. Scripture Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, the non-Jews, by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham by saying all nations will be blessed through you. This is cool. This is pretty amazing. A powerful claim. The word of God, knowing what would happen, would pointed thousands of years ahead, looking past the cross of Jesus Christ all the way to us, that all nations would be blessed through Jesus Christ and then the Gentiles to you. And he promised that to Abraham. What kind of promise is that? Now, in Galatians, we're talking about the law. These are the rules, the regulations, the boundaries, that if I do the law, if I'm a Jewish person, I get circumcised on the eighth day if I'm a male, and I do all the things right, then I will be righteous before God. Problem is, You can't ever live up to all of the rules. So why is it there? If there's a promise to Abraham and then you see Jesus Christ where it comes to pass, what's this in-between section? Why is the law there? Well, scholars actually call the law a parenthesis. You know what a parenthesis is? 
It's a, a word, a clause, a sentence inserted into a sentence to give explanation to what was before and what's coming up next. Have you ever seen that? Like, it's there for a reason to give context to help you understand, but the sentence exists without it. It's to help the reader understand. And the law was there, one, to help people understand and recognize when Jesus came, to recognize he was coming, and because people are sinful and wayward and we go our own ways and we needed help in the in-between, the parentheses, the promise to Abraham and the fulfillment in Christ. Verse 9, again, now follow me. I'm taking you somewhere. Pay attention. I know this is a lot. We're getting there. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He's saying if you follow God, you're going to live by faith. But it's hard to live in the parentheses. The parentheses, the in-between. You got those in your life. In fact, almost the entire world experienced a parentheses called the pandemic. Now, I don't know if we've closed the parentheses yet, but we're somewhere in there. I hope we're not, but everything just stopped. Yeah, I hope we're done. Like, everything just stopped. Do you remember that? How it just, like, overnight, everything changed. It's almost like this in-between season, and it wasn't fun, and we're like, when is it going to end between what we want, you know, what we thought we were moving towards? what we thought we were going, and all of a sudden we're in a parentheses. And maybe you're in the parentheses of relationships where you're like, I want to follow God. I want to get married and serve God in marriage. I want to have kids. And you're in that in-between where you're like, I don't know. You know, I don't, there's a lot of people out there, but none of them want to follow Jesus. And I'm kind of waiting. I'm in the in-between, the parentheses. Maybe you're in the in-between in your life between the promise of God who said when he saved you that I'm going to help you overcome sin, but you're still struggling with addiction. You're in the in-between, in between what God promised and its fulfillment. You name it. Maybe you're struggling with mental health. You're in this what feels like a parenthesis, and you're trying to follow God in the midst of it. I mean, this church, we're in an in-between, between where God had had us before and where he's taking us. We're in the parentheses, and there's a lot of things going on in there, and it's hard. Last week, I preached a message, and uh, you know, you have all of these sayings and things you want people to take home, right? But what they actually take home is almost never those things. Like, they just pick whatever they want. And this time, most people talked to me about one thing I said in first service that I wasn't in my notes. I just said it, and I was talking about church shopping. I said, hey, if you're church shopping, it's time to commit. And we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Uh, but I was talking through how it's hard and everything like that. And I said, but we, we're a hot mess. And the church, we're a hot mess. And people cheered and clapped and laughed and talked to me about it week after and everything because it's hard. We're in this in-between where we're not really sure exactly how it's going to work out. Where are you in the in-between? Faith, faith is exercised in the parentheses. It's tested in the parentheses. It's tested in the in-between, right? It's confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we can't see. And you might be in a place right now where you're in a relationship with your kids and you're like, I can't see it. I got assurance from God, but I can't see it. And maybe your marriage is that way. Faith is acting in the hope of what you want, what you want God to do, that God will show up. Maybe it's just show up however you want to, God, but it's the parentheses of life, in-betweens. 
Abraham had an in-between as well from the moment God uh, promised him descendants that outnumbered the stars and between that starting because he promised him that and then it was like nothing, nothing for almost 30 years. He said, hey, you're going to have descendants that outnumber the stars, but we're going to wait 30 years before you have one. That don't make sense. We got some work to do. We need to go talk to the Catholics about having lots of kids and figure out what to do there because they seem to know how to have lots of kids or the Mormons know how to have lots of kids. We need to talk to them. No, no, no. They're trying. They're trying to do that and all of a sudden they get to a place where it's 30 years later. Not only that, it's over. They shouldn't have had a kid. It was done. And yet they have a kid. What kind of joy would it be? What kind of joy would you experience to start to see the promise of God fulfilled? Now, one is not a lot. You need more than that. But one... Can you imagine that? And for a time, there was great joy. God, I mean, Abraham must have been like, finally, we've got one who's a male, which means, means we'll at least have the name continue. But there's a long stretch there, and everything's going along fine. And then a hard moment comes where God, who was taking him, you know, this is decades of service to him at this point, says, it's time to sacrifice your son, Isaac, to me. What? And I'm not talking metaphorically. I'm talking like they did animal sacrifices to God to show their devotion. And God says, you will sacrifice your son to me. God, that just doesn't seem like part of the promise you made to me. Plus, it's my son. Can you imagine being him? You were promised descendants. You were promised all this. Much less, like, you probably don't care about that anymore. You just have your son, and you love him. And God says, I want you to sacrifice this. Has that happened to you? Where you feel like you have the gift of children, and yet they're going their own way. Or you have the gift of children, and now you've lost one. Like, what are you doing, God? Why would you do this? Maybe the gift of marriage where you were faithful, you did what God asked you to do, and then you finally found someone and you're married, and then an illness causes your relationship to change completely, or there's an infidelity or something bad happens, and you're left with this moment of like, God, I don't understand, I've been faithful, and then I've been faithful, I've been faithful, and now, now I'm struggling. Gifts of a career, a work, a, a calling whether that's ministry and full-time paid ministry or, or it's full-time ministry in the community through your work. You have this career, this thing that you're good at that you bring value to the world and all of a sudden it's gone. Or part of the pandemic or whatever, it's gone. God, what are you doing? Why? It doesn't make sense. See, faith in God, despite circumstances in the pain of the parentheses and the in-between. It results in more than you can imagine. We want the blessing without the weight. We want the reaping without the sowing. We want to go through the drive-thru and get our McFlurry, right? That's what we want. Much less if we wait for something and get it, don't take it back from me because I earned it by being faithful. That's how this works, God. Now, you don't say that, but your heart does. My heart does. My heart does. You called me to a ministry. Why is this so stinking hard? It's supposed to be easy. 
It's not what God has for us. Are you in the in-between of something? Are you living in the parentheses right now? It's how you feel. I feel that way someday. So how do we survive that? Sometimes we're just trying to survive. Paul continues to do what he always does, but especially in this letter and going forward in verse 10. For all those who rely on the works of the law, the rules, right, are under a curse. As it is written, he's using scripture, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. These are the rules, these are the laws. You can't do it. If you can't do it, you're cursed. All right? 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because you can't live in this. He says, Galatians, remember the righteous will live by faith. Those set apart have faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. It's not based on faith. On contrary, it's like a rule. The person who does these things will live by them. Like an equation, do this, you get this. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung in a pole. He returns us back to Christ and says, look, there was a curse on you because you didn't follow the rules of God so you could be righteous before God. We knew that. That was a parenthesis. That was an in-between. It was a guiding, but it was never going to be enough. But there had to be a price paid. So Jesus Christ, he took on your curse on himself and died for you so that you can live by faith. That's what it means. Cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole as Jesus Christ on the cross. And he is saying to you, faith doesn't always make sense. It's not an equation. You have to dive into it. And he says, but Jesus can take you through. He is the provision. He takes us back to that moment with Jesus Christ on the cross, a sacrifice once and for all, the moment we have grace to find hope that if a God would die for me and take on my sin, then he might have plans for me so I can hope and confidence in what he might do. And if I can't see it, I got assurance. And if the equation doesn't balance, well, the law balanced out and that didn't work in my favor. So I'm gonna pick faith, which doesn't seem to make sense. That is our journey, it is mysterious and hard and difficult, and it came, comes with just trusting in the one who has given us the promises of his word through the Holy Spirit. This is hard stuff. So Abraham is told, sacrifice your child. And so he prepares. He goes up to the mountain, to the top where there'll be a stones and, and, and wood he prepares the sticks. He prepares everything. And he takes his son. He doesn't take anything else, just him and his son. His son is literally carrying the wood for his own sacrifice on his back. And they're going up there to the top. And he gets up there and he puts mother. Can you imagine walking up that hill with your child? Can you? I can't. Trying to imagine, like, how am I going to do this? How am I faithful to God? I have to be faithful unto him, but I don't understand. And I don't understand how I could possibly do this. Doesn't make sense. And he gets up there and he builds the thing and he places his son on the altar and his son's talking to him and, and he, he, he raises the knife ready to plunge it down. Have you ever been faithful like Abraham? Because I haven't. I don't know what faith like that looks like. I haven't been faithful like 
Paul, I'm trying to just get a sliver of it. And I think part of it is, and maybe not to that scale, but even faithful in the little things, is that we become so short-sighted. We become so individualistic. It's all about us in the next hour, the next three months, the next year. We barely look past 10 years and how it will affect me and mine and my life and this and that. And Abraham is, is, is willing to give all that up for something that doesn't make sense for the future of a promise of what God is going to do. That same faith resulted in God declaring righteous set apart. That same faith allowed him to be faithful to God. And the story changes, but could Abraham, Abraham in that moment where he's raising the knife ever imagine what would happen? No. Could Abraham ever have imagined that Isaac and all the world would be blessed? Did, could he ever imagine that Jesus Christ would come from his lineage? No. Could Abraham have imagined you sitting where you're at? 2,000-something years ahead? 3,000, what is it now? It's 6,000, 5,000 years ahead? Could he have imagined that? You? I mean, all the things that we have and the technology and all that stuff, of course not. But you, could he have thought about you in this moment? No. All he could do is see what God had before him. And at the last moment, with the knife raised, God stopped Abraham and provided a ram for a sacrifice. That in-between, that in-between moment must have been one of the hardest in his entire life. But because of that promise, between that moment and the cross, something incredible happened. The provision of a ram versus the provision of the Holy Lamb of God for our salvation. Faith in the middle of parentheses results in glory beyond understanding. Abraham could never have known, never have known what was about to happen, what would happen. He would never have known you. But now he gets to see that. He gets to see what God is doing. Glory. Glory to God first, of course. When we take pleasure in giving God the praise, the honor, the exaltation he deserves, that is what is due him its glory. I encourage you the next time you see an amazing sunset, just to give God a standing ovation. Just stand up and just start clapping. You know, be the crazy person in the middle of the campground, clapping at the sun, right? Do whatever you need to do. But like God has done incredible things in your life and you give him the glory. But glory to us, that feels different. God wants to give glory to us. He wants us to glory in what he has done inside of us. Did you know that, that God wants to do that in you? That feels kind of weird to me, but it's true. He wants you to take great pleasure in what God is doing in you and has done in you. He wants you to find pleasure in that. Romans 8, 17 through 19 says this pretty well in my opinion. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, meaning we get to share in all his glory. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So, because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of the grace, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. There are people who are waiting for you to get your glory on. You're like, that is a weird statement. Yes, it is, but it is true. There are people who are waiting to give glory to God because they are waiting for you to have faith in your parentheses, to push through, even if it doesn't seem to make sense. It said revealed in us. This is how we're going to keep going through difficulty, remembering Christ. But a parentheses in a sentence helps us not only give context to the first half, but often to the second half, to what's coming next. And the parentheses prepares us to glory in what is next. We get a sweeter glory in what is next. We have a greater appreciation for what's coming because we've been so stripped down sometimes of all that we can do that there is no doubt that it's only what God can do. And then the joy becomes complete because we get to see God move in our world. Can we have a faith like that, that we so trust in the cross of Jesus Christ that we, like Isaac, laid his son on the altar to God, that we can lay our dreams, our expectations, everything that we are on the altar of God, no less precious sometimes to us because we hold things so dear than that, lay it there and say, God, I will trust you in the midst of all of this. Oh, I hope that for all of us. I think of pregnancy as a perfect parenthesis. When someone's pregnant, there's nine months of of lots of changes and difficulties and hardships, and, um, and it's really, really difficult. Speaking from an observational standpoint, I don't know what that's like, but I watch and I go, that looks hard, looks really hard, you're doing great. Like, like I say, you know, what can I do, right? But, but there, it's difficult and the changes, the in-between. And it seems like nine months is a lot longer at times and a lot shorter than others, but I think women get to experience a joy that I don't because they are part of that pregnant parentheses, that they get to experience a part of who, what God feels about us because of that moment. But Sarah waited 90 years to have her baby. 90 years. 90 years old. When he, she heard that she would have the baby, she laughed. That's why Isaac is it's actually man who laughs. Ishak, like he just laughed, and he laughed at God. But then when it came to true, Isaac became a source of joy for them. Uh, my dad, he, he, uh, he received a vision from God. And it, it, this vision was something he got when he was very young, before I was even born. He got it in college where he went to the Ohio State University, because the Lord is there, and it's a true statement, the Lord's everywhere, some places more than others, but that's not theologically correct. Anyways, uh, and in this vision, it's, it's, it's a long vision, it was vivid, he hasn't really had anything like that ever in his life, and he's been, he had this moment, and uh, it was this vision of these three rivers these three rivers flowing into this valley and converging. And where they converged, it just showed like this amazing growth of, of, of like, you know, like trees and beautiful. And then it became a place that people came to to find um, shelter and rest and provision. And it, and, it, and it was clear to him that he was supposed to pursue this that he was supposed to pursue this moment and to help create this, this moment and this legacy, that he would experience this. And so he's been, he's been chasing that vision for years. 
for years and years and years. I've never known anything different than my dad chasing this vision. And that's part of why we moved so much. We moved because God, you know, God was revealing to him, hey, I'm going to chase this vision and I'm going to go and serve God in ministry. So we went to all these church plants and everything like that. And it got hard and it's, it's a hard life to live as, a, as a, a young person. And we got to this last place and we left. We left halfway through my junior year. And that's a really hard time for a student to transition and moved far away so he could finally realize this vision. And it was kind of tough and it wasn't really looking weird or whatever. And I just remember this moment where I'm so frustrated and angry because I feel like I've had some of my life sacrificed. He's working a full-time job and he's doing ministry and I'm just upset and I'm angry and I miss my friends and I'm, I'm upset with him. And I look at him and I said, you've been following this vision of God your whole life and what do you have to show for it? one of the hardest things I've ever done, the things I look back on and go, man, I wish I had never said that. Because I value my father. Because it doesn't always make sense, the parentheses to other people. It doesn't always make sense. I was praying the other day, and this is years later, and uh, I just said, you know, he still doesn't know the fullness of it yet. And I said, Dad, I don't know. As I was praying, could it be that maybe it's those three rivers are, are your kids? Maybe it's your three rivers. Maybe, maybe it's not about a legacy you're going to leave, but people you're going to raise and what God's going to do through them. And I don't know what the answer is to that. I just know the example. And I know what God has called us to do. We would be the kind of people who follow with a faithfulness that doesn't make sense to everybody else. But we trust and have assurance about what we cannot see even if we will never see it. Abraham, his son, was saved. He had a son when Abraham died. It was 15 years old. For a person who heard from God that your descendants will outnumber the stars, he had one and one when he died. That promise was far beyond Abraham, but he lived in faithfulness. When we do that, it prepares us to experience God's glory. Speaking of generations, maybe God, my father's vision isn't even for me, but for my children, for my children's children. Would we be able to have faith like that? That's not so individualistic and focused on our immediate now. Generational faithfulness changes things of those who are coming back to the faith, whose parents had walked away, but they're coming back, do you know what one of the most common things around them is? That they had a, a grandparent who faithfully prayed for them and had a strong faith in God. That's generational. If you're a grandparent in the room, could you raise your hand nice and proud? Come on, put them up there. Come on, put them up there. Can everyone give them a round of applause, please? you don't know what you're doing. Can you live your life for your great-grandchildren? I'm guessing if you're a grandparent, you're like, yes. Yes, I can. If you don't have a family like that, and maybe you're going to adopt someday, that's great, but there's also discipleship blessings. 
Many of the people who are leading us in the life journey to help us disciple have never really been discipled formally. In fact, the genesis of this entire thing was written by an individual who had never been discipled at the time. They're pioneering into something. They're changing things the way we're moving. We're trying to disciple, and maybe your disciple is your legacy. The person you pour your life into changes the world. I mean, Billy Graham had to have someone disciple him and so forth. Like, we don't know. But when we invest in that, it multiplies I have a vision of, of one becoming two and those two becoming four and those four becoming eight and 16 and 32 and 64 and those who know math will see that it exponentially explodes because when we are faithful with the little things, God does much with them. And maybe you're the one. Maybe you're the Abraham of a generation, a multitude of people that God uses to transform the world. There are people in the room right now who have been the individuals who invested in this church from the very beginning. And what we're experiencing now, even though it's hard, the only reason why we can survive through that is because of the sacrifices that they have made faithfully for years and years and years. And I am inviting you to be one of those people for what's next, to be the ones who pay the price who are faithful. Paul returns as we close with this verse. He returns again to Jesus in verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That moment that Jesus Christ died is more powerful than you can possibly imagine. It was the end of a parenthesis in the beginning of something new. That moment when Jesus died, exploded out across the timeline of our entire faith and moved back to where the ram was sacrificed instead and his son bore the wood up the, <laughs> the hill beyond him and farther, farther back all the way to Genesis when he promised that his son would be struck by the enemy but that he would be victorious. But that explosion didn't just go backwards and went forward into the church and then to the Gentiles and then into your family and into this very moment where we're at right now. And the reality is that shockwave of grace is continuing beyond you, beyond you. And it will go for however long it needs to go, this ripple effect. The difference is because you have the Spirit, you've been invited to be part of that glory. Do you feel the weight of it, the glorious purpose of it? When we have faith, in our parentheses, in our in-betweens, then God uses us to be part of that grace and that glory that will continue beyond you. And we will see God move in the midst of it, but some of what we do we will never see until God shows it to us. Maybe after we are gone for hundreds of years. So what are we going to do? Here's my action steps to you. We're going to be faithful in the in-between. We're going to be faithful in the parentheses. I want you to invest in the local church body through partnership. We have partners in this church who have made commitments based on our code statements, and they keep the vision alive, but they invest. They're the ones who are making things move and go. I mean, this, you know, 100-plus people, they have made a commitment to invest and be faithful even in the midst of the difficulty and they will get to experience the glory in a way that others won't. 
I encourage you to become one of those. Whether you've been church shopping for a while or you haven't pulled the trigger or you know what the commitments are and you're stuck on one of them, like I am asking you to do that, to go after it, to get connected as we help walk this journey together. There is a course coming up, a, a get-together, where we will talk about all of the commitments where you can come to, and then we ask you to go home and pray about becoming a partner, becoming part of what is going on here. Second thing I'm going to ask you to do, this is for everyone, set biblical expectations of your life. A lot of us have allowed ourselves to turn God into a vending machine. Jesus, if I do the right things, then I can press A1 and get that right relationship or I can press B2 and get this. You know, back in the day, they used to say, may God bless me like he blessed Abraham. You sure? You sure you want that kind of blessing? My hope is that you say, yeah, and all that comes with it, because I believe in God and what he is doing. We need to go through the expectations we have in our lives. Write down, I expect God to do this if I do that, an equation. And be honest. It's okay. It's, it's not wrong to have wrong expectations. It's an opportunity for you to submit them and to lay them on the altar just like Isaac was laid on the altar and see what God does through it. To give all the dreams to him, to give everything you desire and want or the hurts and the pains and just lay it at his feet and say, you need to do that. You need to go home. You need to write these things out then you need to ask God, like, is this real or is this like out of line or what's my motivations? And search the word of God to help you understand. And then be faithful in the in-between and in the parentheses and the, the ugliness. It's not on the screen, but I want to invite you to Juneteenth, which is this Saturday. It's an opportunity to celebrate that those who were slaves are slaves no longer. And though the journey isn't done, it's begun. It's going to be so much fun. If you were here at the beginning, there's so much going on in this month, but Bridget said something, and this is something we're trying to communicate. We want to create community around vision, and Juneteenth is vision. It's vision for celebrating how far we've come and how far we still have to go. There's going to be food and learning and growing and, and fellowship. I am encouraging that if you're in the parentheses on this issue, come. Let's do this together. Let's figure it out together and be part of it. Finally, be faithful in the in-between, and I'm going to challenge some of you to begin the journey of faithfulness where you haven't been following God. It's time. Now, you've heard what it costs, and that's going to be the same for you. There's going to be a cost, but like Abraham was called by a voice to go out into the wilderness and to do something new and leave everything behind, God is calling you to do that too, and the glory it's amazing. The beauty of what God does is so hard to explain, and it's worth it. I'm going to ask all of us to stand, because I think all of us need to recommit to ourselves why we're doing this, what we need to see God do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And if you want to follow Jesus, I encourage you to make this commitment. And if you've already followed Jesus, it's time to reaffirm it. During the first service, right before I started doing this, I just felt God say to me, last chance. Uh, not last chance to do this, but that there are those who are giving church one last chance. Giving God one last chance. 
giving humanity one last chance. Giving this life one last chance. I pray that you would know that God is here and he is with you. He is for you. And he wants to know. If you want to follow him with your whole life, I'll reaffirm that. Pray this with me. How loud or in your heart, in your own words. God, I need rescued. I need someone to save me, to take the curse off of me. And I believe that Jesus was the curse for me. He died, and it is finished. I want to embrace this new life by leaving behind the old and stepping into the hope, the confidence of following Jesus. Make me new. Give me your spirit, and I will follow you like Abraham, not perfect, but faithful. Well, once again, thank you so much for listening to this message. And um, our prayer is that God is working in you, changing you, um, that his Holy Spirit is guiding you, leading you into all truth, as Jesus talks about in the book of John. Um, and that truth says something about who we are and who God has made us to be. Um, but also not just who we are individually, but how that impacts the way we interact with the community around us, um, the people we love, maybe even the people uh, we have a hard time loving. And uh, one of the things that we see Jesus doing uh, through his spirit is um, helping us to reconcile to community in ways that we wouldn't normally do on our own. And so um, we are praying for you, whoever you are listening to this. Uh, we would love to connect with you. And so if you've never connected with us, uh, the best way to do that is by going to lifechurchcanton.org slash now um, and click on that button that says connect card and fill that out. And then we'll be in touch with you very soon. No matter where you are, no matter where you live, we want to connect with you in some way. Uh, have a good rest of your day and we'll see you back here soon.